Kia ora and welcome to this episode of The Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate, 100% carbon neutral. Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products and if you're one of our Aussie listeners then you've probably seen them in your quality barber shop. I've used the pomade in their matte clay paste to style what hair I have left and their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout that's lowercase S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R. Look good and support another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGROAR. Kia ora and welcome to episode 141 of the STAGROAR. This episode I'm joined by the absolute legend Keegan Smith. We delve into a shit ton, to be honest. <laughs> Um, we explore the war on health and pretty in-depth, nuanced conversation. Um, we'd both love to hear your own opinions around what we speak about. Um, we both come at different opinions sometimes, and that's cool, and that's what's really, really awesome about this conversation. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and um, if you've got any thoughts, we'd both love to hear from you. Um, also, if you listen to this before the weekend, make sure you go over to Keegan's page and log in to Real Movement Project, sign up for the coaching um, intensive if you're interested. I know I'm super pumped for the likes of Steve Hansen and Derek Woodski. Um, hell of a crew that's been put together by Real Movement again. Um, I've talked about it a few times. Jay Reeve talked about this man, Keegan Smith, on our last podcast. And yeah. Hope you enjoy it and look forward to hearing your feedback. Kia ora everyone. Got the legend Keegan Smith. We heard about him from Jay Reeve last time. It was just, you know, it's funny how the world works like that. Someone brings up a name and like, actually, this week I'm having to yarn to the legend. You were back uh, episode nine. You had the top top spot for a long, long time, mate. You're still up there in the top ten. Um, how's COVID-19 affected you? Obviously you had the uh, online intensive there a couple of weeks back and Looking to go again this weekend. It's going to be going to be huge. Coaches for them. Yeah. Firstly, uh, thanks for having me on, and cool that you had Jay on as well. He can uh, he can talk. He's an interesting guy. A lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's cool to cool to connect with him a couple of years ago. Uh, good guy. And yeah, nice also to to see the, the podcast grow over the time, and uh, to know that a few people listened into the first one that we did. So hopefully we get a couple a couple again today. And, Built from there, um, yeah. The the COVID stuff. I mean, yeah, crazy times. As far as uh, business goes, and, and sort of me personally, like my lifestyle is more or less along those lines. Anyway, uh, we had a live event planned, and we had to cancel that. But as far as my life goes, you know, I work from home. Uh, nothing really changed for for myself and for my family uh, too much in that way. We were planning to be overseas again by now, so I guess that changed. But um, you know, the, the day-to-day life stuff is pretty similar. And as far as business goes, like, it's actually probably been good. Uh, a lot of people have had time to consider their education and consider their connections and just where they're headed in life. And, and we've had a lot of growth uh, with Real Movement, which we were probably set up for. But I think the, you know, the people being at home more and looking for online options probably has helped us with that. And, yeah, I mean, you were part of that intensive. That was when you sort of finally bit the bullet and decided to have a go with us, uh, which was really fun to 
you know, see you join our crew, um, Ryan, because, you know, I know you've been watching along and you know a lot of the guys. And, you know, I thought you would you would enjoy the what we're doing. And, um, yeah, it was great to have you along for the event. And it's been great having you in the community. I'm super excited for this next one. I haven't done any of the work preparing it. My brother's done all the work on this one. Um, and he's brought together an amazing group of people who I never would have brought together. So that's really interesting and exciting for me. Some of the people I don't really know much about them i've read you know just brief bios and things like that so the chance to sort of have them present to real movement community and you know to sort of deep dive into what they're about like i'm pretty pumped uh for that i know they've you know the book authors and guys that have had really good results as coaches so i'm just yeah really excited to uh, to hear from them and obviously they're people that my brother really looks up to and he you know is the world of coaching really well so um yeah pumped for that yeah and obviously this podcast reaches a lot of people in New Zealand and a name that people should be reasonably familiar with is Steve Hansen, mate. What a what a coup. Um, and like, like you said, I've been watching from the sidelines for a long time and, you know, that intensive blew me away and, and all the people that, that sort of you had on there, you know, when, when Derek Whiskey's name popped up, I was like, mate, that's the price of admission. And, and yet again, Steve Hansen's the price of admission and then and what, what people will find from those other names that they might not be familiar with will just blow them away like Adrian O'Brien there from from Ireland what, what a champion he is um how'd you how'd you come across him he's actually been one of our early members in Real Movement I don't remember how we got started but he joined Real Movement like in the early days I guess it was I guess it would have come from uh, I presented over there on the other side of the country in Waterford I think he came to that event and, and he enjoyed the event and then I ended up presenting from his place and, and he, you know, he joined Real Movement maybe 2016. So um, we've been pretty close since then. I've stayed at his house and, you know, we've done a few events um, over there in Ireland together. So, yeah, he's just an absolute champion bloke. He's just so genuine and, you know, father and family man and, and, and you know, great athlete himself. He, he ran a 10-something hundred at, at some stage. Um, so he's, you know, got a good athletic base on him and, um, yeah, he's working in high-level sports and runs a commercial facility and, he's, you know, he's into everything that we're into. So, yeah, just a real genuine guy and he's brought together a great crew of, you know, again, people from Ireland and Europe that I wouldn't have otherwise sort of connected with that are going to be on there for the weekend. So, excited to hear some of those guys and more of the, you know, the Irish sports that we don't get to hear a lot about, but they're very, very passionate about their own um, sports over there. So, yeah, just looking forward to all of that and, and the human side of the connection deepening with, you know, with Adrian and my brother and, and all those sorts of things are, are good as well. You know, they come together to put the project together is, a, is an achievement in itself as well. Yeah, so from Adrian, like he's from Limerick and, and you know, he had a picture up the other day of, of the little woodland he's got on his property and he, said he runs a few sheep and, you know, he said he can take those down to the local butcher and, and like you say, with, with Irish sports, it's very much parish-based, whether that's hurling or... or or um, Gaelic football, and, and it's really, really about tribe and, and community. And do you think that's, you know, me with all my Irish heritage, especially a place like Limerick, it's just like something that really gets me going. But what do you what do you reckon about that sort of village mentality that, that you see from the likes of places like Limerick and, and, and the smaller sort of rural communities of Ireland? Yeah, you, you really can feel that over there. Like where Adrian's gym is, is right next to the pub, which <laughs> is, you know, probably the second most important location to the church, you know, in the town centre. It's it's in a little little village kind of setup. 
and you go through all those windy roads with the stone walls and you, you know you wonder how two cars can pass each other you know to to get to the gym so it really is that kind of traditional um you know your irish or english kind of country town setting um, and people do really you know they know each other they care about each other and it does have that feel of you know we're all connected here um, which I think is is a powerful feeling and something that a lot of us are searching for. Um, there's no yeah, there's no anonymity there. Like you, you want to be a valuable member of your community and you want to, you know, have the respect of people around you and that sort of thing. And I think that's something that we all need. And I think when we don't have that, we feel like we don't really matter to many people and we don't, you know, have people that are relying on us and expecting the best from us and things like that. I think life, you know, isn't isn't as good as it is when the inverse is true. So, um, yeah, it's it's cool, and they really, you know, the sport is a big part of that. Um, unfortunately, probably the drinking culture is is a big part of that in Ireland as well. But you know, if you listen to Dara and even Adrian and that, like they've made some strong decisions around that, and they're, they're leading guys in another direction where you know you don't have to be getting on the drink to to connect either, because that's probably traditionally how a lot of men have connected, but um, you know, there's some negative consequences to that being the centre of your social world. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's, they're definitely, you know, all, all the war, you know, the civil war and that sort of thing in Ireland, I think it still has some sort of presence in the toughness of the people over there. I mean, the famines and everything that the Irish people have been through, like, I, I still really get that feeling that they're, they're down to earth and they know, you know, they know tough times and they know, you know, they know what good times are as well. So... Um, yeah, this, they're just great people and it's, it's always, you know, exciting to get over there and connect. And how much of a pull back to the new KD have you grew up there, right? With your old man coaching? Yeah, we lived over there a few times growing up. Uh, we lived in Hull the first time, which everyone always shudders. Everyone from England is like, oh, you went, you went to Hull. But I was, I was a young kid. We lived in a nice, we actually lived on a little farm and, and that sort of thing. We lived in nice places. But, um, yeah, I lived in Hull for two and a half years and then between Bradford and Leeds, um, which, again, everyone shudders about Bradford, but we lived in a beautiful place between Bradford and Leeds um, for a bit over a year when I was 12. And then um, I went back there straight after uni as well, as, as most people do. I didn't plan to travel, but uh, the opportunity kind of, kind of came up and my brother was over there. And I thought, I'll go have a look. So I did the compulsory, you know, year and a half Aussie sort of uh, backpacker visa type setup as well so i've ended up having about yeah five and a half years maybe in uh in england of this life of 37 years so far mm. and then so how do you see the influence of of the uk and Ireland come to a place like a colony like australia and do you think we're trying to run away from it do you think it keeps showing up or in like australia's reasonably cosmopolitan especially competed in new zealand but you know, there is a dominance of, of that uh, English colonialism going on in Aussie. What, what are you sort of, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, it's what I've grown up with, so it's probably not as clear to me as it might be to you, but there's, you know, definitely, I mean, it's, yeah, there's still a huge and strong influence, even though, you know, Australia is a country of, of immigrants and people from all sorts of, you know, a lot of different, backgrounds a lot of people from asian backgrounds a lot of people from sort of turkey uh, greece yugoslavia you know those sorts of areas so it was yugoslavia when they came you know um 
Serbians, you know, I grew up with a group of people like that, you know, like my mates were all Greek background, my friends in the street that I used to play with, um, their parents had come over um, to, you know, in search of opportunities after the Second World War. And, you know, there were a lot of Turkish kids and, yeah, all those sorts of background. Uh, those names were common at my school. Um, but, yeah, like, I guess it was sort of, there was a lot of racism in my upbringing that I didn't really recognise at the time. It sort of took until I was in my 20s to sort of realise a lot of the negative uh, programming that I'd had around Indigenous people, around, you know, people from those different European backgrounds. And it was just, you don't know any different when you're a kid. It's just what you hear from people and it's sort of what, just how the conversations are. Um, I think there was a lot of racism around me, you know, in schools and in, you know, even family and whatever. And it was pretty tough to confront a lot of that in myself in my 20s when I went and travelled the world and I sort of realised we're more like each other than we are different. You know, I lived in villages in Mexico and backpacked all through Latin America, hitchhiking and, and just sort of put myself at the vulnerability of the world to see what the world was all about. And, you know, I found that people are generally good and they generally want to help you out. And I didn't really meet uh, bad people. You know, there are a few people who'd lost their mind with drugs and, you know, fried their brains in, in Latin America, as you might expect. Um, but, uh, you know, bad people I, I didn't meet, you know what I mean? Where you sort of hear about them all through your life of, you know, watch out for the bad people and this sort of thing. Even when I was traveling there, like hitchhiking, people would be like, oh, you can't be walking around here and, you know, watch out for this and that. And, you know, I was probably lucky in some ways as well. There, there definitely are, you know, some, some gang activities and some people who don't want the best for, for other people in the world. But yeah, overwhelmingly, like, was, was good people. So, I mean, coming back to the question, like, uh, I see a completely different perspective on those families that move to Australia in search of a different opportunity. And, um, you know, people come from Asia, people coming from those other parts of Europe. And, and obviously our own background is, you know, Scottish, Irish, English type background. Like, they were escaping tyranny, poverty, um, you know, oppressive conditions, overpopulation, sewage in the streets, famine. Um, you know, people getting thrown into jail for stealing a loaf of bread when they were hungry and, and all of those sorts of scenarios. So, uh, you know, that's that's who we are and it's important to, to kind of keep some perspective on, you know, who we are, where we come from. Um, yeah, I don't know, like in terms of the, the ongoing kind of cultural racism and, and uh, the, yeah, you know, the colonial overhang. I mean, it's... Probably yeah, probably too deep for me to to be able to put into words. You know what I what I see with that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, what are you? What are your thoughts with looking at Australia or even in New Zealand itself? Yeah, it's quite fascinating. The Friday before um, New Zealand went full lockdown and said, you know, don't go to work, don't go anywhere, stay at home. Um, I was having a meeting with, funnily enough, uh, an intensivist who, who came from Melbourne with Transylvanian heritage, and he, he sort of thought growing up in Melbourne that, you know, he was in this cosmopolitan city and, you know, there's all, all these different cultures around and growing up he thought it was great, but retrospectively coming to New Zealand he sort of thought, holy shit, there's a, a lot of racism now and looking at the way politics runs in, in Australia, you know, that very religious-based conservative, you know, colonial type, do as you're told, type thing he's he's a bit moving on that on that um stance of of openness and, and melting pot to very exclusive 
units. And then my old man was talking about going to Western Suburbs of Sydney and, and showing up to a, a, a soccer game, which is why they were killing time. And one side of the field speaking Greek, the other side of the field, you know, speaking Yugoslavian. And, and my favourite team in, in the in the A-League is, is Western Sydney, just because of the, the passion and, and that sort of Eastern European flair and <laughs> excitement that they bring. But yeah, New, New Zealand, especially where I'm from down south, which is very Scottish and very Irish, like this Presbyterian church is everywhere, basilicas everywhere. And then you, you move to the North Island and all of a sudden you hear about these land wars and, and people being kicked off land and, and treaty settlements, which you only really saw, saw on the news and, and you actually start talking to the people that are affected by them. You go, well, I've missed out on a big chunk of, of our history as a country. And then you where I was in Ballina seeing that, you know, um, that site which was used to walk along where the, some, um, I don't know, police force or something from Queensland came down and just shot a bunch of Aboriginals off a hill for no real apparent reason. You just go, well, what's, what, what, a, what a way to, to live and, and what a perspective. And, and you said about that sort of people being sent to Australia for, for the sake of stealing bread. And, you know, we're just about to get you know, released from our house arrest here in New Zealand. And in that period of time, my mates had a, had a um, you know, a cow poorly butchered off his property and, you know, he's just on the edge of town. So that desperation's already starting to, to sink in with, with certain parts of the population and just go, hell, are we, are we back to 1700s all of a sudden with, with people that are just, you know, got nothing and, and are oppressed and no job, no meaning, no tribe, no food, you know, doing what they can, it's it's pretty scary. To lose you. <laughs> yeah, so we just chopped out and you uh you asked me before we dropped out what was the deal with the with the meat. Yeah, it was just someone obviously needed food and thought that they could get away with what they could and just nicked off with a head and a, and a leg and half a back steak and of, of each side and that was it. So yeah, I guess, you know, um, Hastings has got reasonably bad rap for having uh, low socioeconomic status and, you know, they're, they're going to be the worst that's affected, I guess. So yeah, I suppose there's plenty of places like that in Australia where, you know, vulnerable hubs. Yeah, wow. That's um, yeah, it's pretty wild to sort of think that that's that sort of stuff's happening already. Um, yeah, I think it is a time for concern. You know, that one of the conversations I've been having. You know, uh, I did a podcast recently about Farm Jim and yeah. been chatting with you know Lyndon and some of the guys about. You know, I really feel like we need to have some initiatives to be more productive on the land because you know that is really. A foundation for for freedom, for sovereignty, um, is to be able to you know have food and sort of wherever you can get wild food, or um, you know if you can go hunting and get game, or you know to have um, access to to property that that has food on it, you know that has animals on it that can be you know used to sustain us. I think that is a huge play. So like that's something that I really want to put a lot of focus into to build relationships with farmers who have unused land. You know, there's so many farmers in Australia that are just ageing and just, you know, really um, 
low density in terms of the use of their property or not even using it at all. Um, and I'm, I think that there is a possibility for us to support, you know, farmers and, and those kind of more hobby farm type setups to be more productive. And I feel as though if we can have those connections, like as gym owners, you know, we have a lot of gym owners in our community. If we have those kind of connections in the community, if someone does hit tough times, like there's an option for them to go out and, and even stay on that property or to, to work there or to, you know, to live from it. And um, I think, it might sound a bit bleak, but that's actually been how humans have always existed. You know, we've always had to have access to, to land and to property. And I, I think that, you know, understanding our roots and, and getting back to that as kind of our foundation and our, you know, our personal sovereignty is to, to have access to food. And then that sort of takes us out of the need for welfare um, and the need for even to be in the cash economy to an extent, if, if it comes to it, you know, I think we, it's, it's a long way from where we are now, but it may be not as well, you know, it may be sooner than, than we think. So I think it's, it's something to explore and to, to work on. Like that was probably my biggest conclusion in my twenties when I was doing that backpacking or it wasn't really like traditional backpacking. It was more so trying to, you know, explore the world and understand what was going on and, I worked in a lot of indigenous communities and rural communities. And the biggest thing I saw was that if they could have food, food sovereignty, then they really could make a lot more decisions about how they live. And then, you know, when they decided to go onto welfare, whether it was out in outback Australia or, you know, in the, the hills in Mexico, once they engaged with the welfare system, they really, you know, became domesticated in a way, um, became reliant on the system and they had to, you know, to bow to, to authority in a way that they never had or they hadn't, you know, especially in terms of the colonial authority that we're talking about. You know, they hadn't had that. They, hadn't, they didn't need to give up their language or participate in schools or, you know, agree to have stuff injected into their bodies or any of that kind of stuff in exchange for the ability to live. So, yeah, the welfare thing I think is a really slippery slope like everyone in Australia has decided it's fine to be on welfare for the first time ever in my lifetime you know people are proud about applying for welfare and um, you know the, the, the payments have been increased and that sort of thing but you know I think it's an extremely dangerous and slippery slope to get into that you know I think we should be looking straight away at, well look if there's no income what are the immediate solutions like don't consider welfare an option. If, you, if welfare wasn't an option, what would you do? And I think we would arrive to more intelligent, practical solutions sooner in terms of making cooperative deals with farmers, you know, getting on the land, breeding rabbits and guinea pigs and chickens and, um, you know, goats and sheep. And, you know, you can, you can get a lot done pretty quick if, you know, if you know what you're doing, if you've, you know, you've got the energy towards it. And I know it's so abstract for people to think about doing that in the modern world, but it is literally like what we have always done as humans. You know, we've made it work with animal husbandry, whether it's, you know, wild game or, or the farming stuff. And you might think, well, yeah, I'm not going to be able to holiday to Bali on that, but you know, the, the economy is changing and there's, there's definitely different, different times ahead. And I'm not saying, you know, don't, pursue an online business don't you know do anything in the digital world but to have a foot and a foothold in the you know the physical world and and, and physical food security for yourself 
I think makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, and economically, you know, looking at what's always been, what have always been assets, well, animals have always been assets. You know, if you have a herd, I was listening to um, a Buckminster Fuller book, um, a Grunch, Grunch of Giants, or, and he's talking about how in the early days when the merchant ships were going out, they would mortgage against their livestock and the offspring of the livestock would be the interest. Mm. And that was how it worked. So, you, you know, you got an advance from the bank to be able to go out and potentially have an extremely lucrative, you know, rape and pillage of the world, go and find gold or go and find spices or whatever it was. And you could come back and make a lot of money, but it was high risk. And so you would hold, you know, you would leave your, your herd as security. And that's kind of, you know, how it worked. But then at some stage, you know, it stopped being against the herd and it started to be more against gold and gold doesn't have offspring. So then it became interest and, and they, you know, they would take a portion of the, of the gold as a, but these are assets that have always been assets, right? The fiat currency thing is a pretty new thing. And I mean, it's not, it's, it's relatively new again in modern times in terms of the, you know, the U S dollar, everything was backed by gold and, and until you know the seventies when Nixon took it off the the gold, you know I think that was the gold standard where it wasn't one to one backing, but it was there was some sort of backing. Um, you have to look at what's traditionally been an asset. Animals have been assets, land's been an asset, um, and then you know gold and silver have been money. And I think you know we need to look at that whether cryptocurrencies are going to emerge as as being money. And they do fit the bill in some ways, but they also have high degree of risk potentially to them. Uh, but I, I think people need to be looking at these sorts of things to have some, uh, some hedge against the changing world and the changing times that we live in. Like we've seen government is willing to intervene to an extent that no one ever thought was possible. And, and some people think it's about health and it's about trying to look after people as a health you know, someone who's been studying health for, for 20 years, someone who's extremely passionate about people being healthy, um, I find that a very, very hard pill to swallow, that this is about health because if the governments did care about health, if, if corporations and Bill Gates and these people did care about, care about health, I think they would take a completely different path to the one that they are taking. And there's a lot of evidence to support preventative health care and um, you know, so many things that we could do if, if health was a priority for society and the things that we might consider mandating for society would be completely different things to what we are actually mandating, you know, from simple things like having a bit more physical activity and a bit more nutritional support through the schooling system. You know, that, that seems like an obvious uh, intervention where all that stuff has been decreasing, um, you know, increasing education or, and, and physical um, development in the workplace and, and having gyms and, and making time within the workday. You know, that seemed like obvious stuff to me in my early twenties, if we wanted to reverse the trends of diabetes and cancer and heart disease and dementia, we know things that reverse all of those things and yet we don't apply them and they're not front page news. When we do make medical breakthroughs, when we do have 15,000 CrossFit gyms pop up in the world where people are eating paleo, they're becoming strong and powerful when was this front page news? You know, when, when did this become something that was promoted as positive? When ketogenic diet became very clear as a, as a solution to improved brain function, 
100 years ago. Um, what happened then? You know, what happened when Atkins revived that and saw in the panting diet? You know, and what happened to Tim Noakes, who was probably the most respected man in exercise science, who had a number of breakthroughs. He had seven, I think, major breakthroughs that changed paradigms in exercise and in health, uh, understanding of human physiology, human performance. And when his eighth revelation came through that, we've messed up with prescribing sugar and, and, and giving sugar to everyone as a performance enhancer. He was struck off as a lunatic and, and he was, you know, you know, attacked in the, in the most um, despicable way for, for an academic, you know, um, to be attacked. So, you know, to say that this intervention is about health, it's just stupidity in my mind. It's ignorance. Um, so what is it about? <laughs> Well, if you start to answer that question, then you, you understand why I'm talking about food sovereignty, why I'm talking about other assets. Um, you know, our, our currency is worth nothing. You know, the mm. currency that we're given now, it's literally, you know, a $50 or a $100 Australian note is worth about 10 cents. That's about what it costs to produce. So that's what it is. The only reason functionally at the moment it's worth more than that is because we give it that value. So it's, it's an imaginary thing. It's a creative idea. And while the human energy and imagination says that it's worth something, then it is. But when confidence erodes in that, it's a measure of confidence. That's what the best way to describe it. Our fiat currency is, is confidence. And when confidence goes in that, because that goes to, you know, corporations, which basically steals the wealth of the population, steals superannuation. Um, all of that is being stolen from us. If you listen to guys like Robert Kiyosaki or, you know, Mike Maloney, there's guys that can explain the economics of it uh, better. But basically, if you're playing Monopoly and someone just keeps punching more money into the game, the game has changed. You, you don't, you know, you, all of a sudden you're happy to offer millions of dollars for a hotel. Um, and that's what's happened in our economy. You know, so the property prices and all these things have, have become ridiculous if you look at wealth cycles and how much we pay for, for things versus uh, versus gold is a good way to measure it or versus um, Dow, you know, versus the stock exchange. I've had to dive more deeply into all of these areas, particularly in the last sort of 12 months because I started to get into some financial stress myself and I was like, yeah, you know, if I'm under financial stress and this is how it feels for me and my family, then how must the majority of people in the world be doing? Because I know I'm in the top 1% earners. Um, and that's, I think, over $30,000. So don't get too carried away. If you're earning over $30,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of earners in the world. Um, and, you know, I've been earning a lot more than that for, for quite a while to think that I've been financial you know, pressure. So, you know, I've started to get a financial education, which wasn't, you know, part of the schooling system. I did read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was, you know, 18, 20 years old. But once I started backpacking that, I put all that stuff on the back burner. And, and then I thought I'd just keep making more money and everything would be fine. As long as I made more money, you know, everything would be fine. But as a lot of males realized and, and business people, you know, particularly males and maybe, you know, some females as well, obviously, but, you know, you have that pressure of like, do I just, how do I keep making more money and we keep spending more money. And then, you know, statistically, you're going to spend 120% of what you earn in your lifetime. That's the, you know, that's what the, the data is at the moment. It's, it's, you know, slightly lower and higher for America and Australia, but we're all spending more than we actually earn. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a long answer that I'm, I'm giving here, but there are, 
it's time to really consider, you know, what community you're a part of, what your values are, what you stand for. Are you more scared of germs than you are, you know, tyranny? Um, you know, the Germans are out on the streets and they're, and they're you know, protesting hard because they, they've seen, you know, Nazi Germany. That, that it's very clear and present in their history. Um, Australians, I think, are not so clear on that. Um, we tend to be trusting our government and, and thinking that our government is, has health somewhere in its interests. Um, I just can't see how you can make a case for that. I just don't think there's any evidence that health is any sort of a priority um, in our in our government's um, agenda. So, what is what is the priority? Uh, you know, Australia is not leading the COVID conversation. It's a global government uh, decision, and almost every country has fallen into line with it, regardless of if there's anyone getting sick in the country or not. Um, you know, everyone's had the same economic shutdown. We were due for a massive economic crash, and, and this is the facilitator of it. So now it's what are, what's what's coming on the other side. And the massive economic crash hasn't officially happened yet. Consumer confidence, unemployment, all those things are telling us that we're in for a huge change. It's good. It's it's either going to you know it's time for humanity to wake up. I'm very confident that this is a wake up call. That, that we needed. And I think a lot of us have been sleeping and, and have been ignorant of the reality around us. So now the cards are on the table. The government said what they're willing to do. Uh, it's really clear, you know, what their priorities are, um, not, not from the Australian perspective, but from a global perspective. So now the question is, well, what do we want? What do we, the people, you know, want? How are we going to live? What will we stand for? What will we not stand for? Um, so, yeah. Interesting times, interesting times for, for everyone. Absolutely, mate. Um, I'm going to take your way back to the start when you said about having land, having stock. Um, when I was in Australia, I, I worked with a, a Italian heritage and that's what she sort of said, that it was the way that the Italian people established themselves in the country. The, the odd few that chose to move to Australia, went there, bought land, had farms, um, family came out, worked on those farms, established themselves, bought businesses, started businesses, ran businesses. Two, three generations later, they're owning townships and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and land and property and, and business, you know, became what it is that why you see such a success from those people. And even in my own story, um, moving to my mate's farm, like, Shit, if it hadn't been for the events in my life that meant that I, I left my renting income, which I was hating, um, and moving out here, helping my mate out on the farm, then I'd be up shit creek. The, the, like you say, all of a sudden, the government's saying, here, well, you'll be all right, here's a subsidy, but it's absolutely bullshit. Like, if I'd been renting, they wouldn't have covered that, so I don't know what the heck would have happened there. But, yeah, like you say, there's, there's stock and things around here and, and wild animals, if, you know... <laughs> And again, you you got to look at what the bloody agenda is. Like the government says, don't go hunting, don't go don't go fishing, don't 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 go surfing. You know, um, then they're saying, oh yeah, the the rural sector is going to look after us, but they you know shut down meat plant processing plants. They they make sure that they can't run run effectively. Um, you know, you're seeing cases from the states where they're just having to dump things or, or just slaughter stock for the sake of it. Um, I don't know if you were listening to Tim Pool talk, but he just <laughs> described a harrowing reality of, of a collapse of the supply chain. And, and once 
once one goes, then it just all falls over. And, and when there's, like I said, there's no value in the money. There's no, there's no value in holding stock. There's no value in, in, in moving it around. Then it becomes subsistence living. And, and the people that have land and have stock all of a sudden become rich because they're attainable things, are things that sustain you and, and get you through. And then following on from that, I was just listening to Lou Kentley or whatever his name is, talking with Peter Deere about the sugar crisis he came from West Virginia 50 years ago. No one is fat. Um, everyone's subsistence living, you know, they're, 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 again, not engaged with the economy and everyone's healthy. And he goes back over 20 years and, and you know, corn syrup and stuff happens in West Virginia. Everyone's drinking Coca-Cola and, and obesity is through the roof. And, and now he's dealing with things and in, in, in cancer and, the link between fructose and, and how it fuels things and insulin and, and all that massive triad of, of factors for many cancers and afflicted through to Greg Emerson, another person that, you know, doing wonderful things, helping people that haven't been helped for 10 years in the in medical system and APRA all of a sudden feels that he's not fit to practice. And it's like, you know, flick him through this data and he says, I've been saying that for 10 years. And I said, yeah, well, that's no surprise. This, this data's 10 years old. Like we just, as a, as a, as you say, when it comes to health and, and, it's not a conspiracy. You look at Tim Noakes, you look at Gary Fick, you look at the factors that were at play to, to shut them up. It's it's corporations, it's, it's people with a religious interest in proving the fact that we should be vegan and we should be eating all this soy and wheat and oh, it's just an absolute shit show. And and then, then at the end of the day, they're the people that have got their hands in the pocket of the government or probably are the government, you know. It's just it's really, really... Not bizarre when you when you look like you say you just take a quick look one layer deeper it all makes sense because it's their interest but it's not our interest it's not the not the populist interest we we're, we're just the ones that keep them propped up it's it's pretty harrowing and, and that's what you say your own sovereignty and what can you do to look after yourself is is a massive thing and on your podcast you were early from the outset and like you say twenty years at looking at health means that you're open to this that this this isn't about health this is about a, a tighter grip on, on the way you function and, and that's the thing you see with with uh welfare is here's your money and that money's to buy this thing and it's from the supermarket here's your food stamp it's to buy this thing and, and guess whose thing that is it's the person that's in government <laughs> yeah it's the vegan kibble crap is what it's going to be as well but you know some people are going to want to take their chances and say, well, hopefully everything's fine. Hopefully they've got our best interests at heart, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be hoping, you know, I've, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be backing any of those sort of people, organizations to, to get us through the other side of this. So I think it's a really important time for people to go back to who are we, what are we about and what can we do about this? And, and, you know, what, what decisions are we going to make for ourselves? Like that's, that's the time that we're in. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, the Gary, Gary Fecky and, and Tim Noakes, all these, you know, you don't have to look far to say this is obviously not about health. You know, Dr. Sean O'Brien himself got, you know, mm. struck off because he was, you know, giving nutritional advice rather than chopping people up. Um, it's just, it's just so clear as soon as you look. And if you only have to just look basically at the numbers, like the this number of, deaths from suicide and, and, you know, domestic violence and all those sorts of things are going to be massively greater than, you know, what are actually coming from 
this thing, which some people are saying the tests are a complete bogus and they're butchering the autopsies. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence of foul play, even with the numbers that we're seeing. And the numbers that we're seeing are crazy low. Like in the area that I'm in, they're saying that there was a death from it. The average age uh, of someone dying from, from this stuff, apparently, is the actual life expectancy. So I think life expectancy is about 82, and that's the average age of death from this thing. So there's one person in this region, and the whole economy has been shut down. And it was one person, and that person was 85. So what is actually going on here? Like, you couldn't make that case to do that for cancer, to do that for diabetes, to do that for dementia, to do that for, you know, suicide. Like, we wouldn't shut down the economy for any of those things and it couldn't be justified. And if it, they did try to justify it and they were off by orders of magnitude of hundreds, then they would, you know, they would have to go to jail. Like they would have to lose their jobs. Like there, there's no place for people to make that kind of a mess up with, you know, destroying the economy. You know, I think we have to consider those options for the people that have made these decisions. Like there's, you know, I'm not one for prisons, but there, you know, there needs to be a consequence and the, and, and the obvious consequence, rather than punishing those people, is just to never listen to them again. You know, to never take any of those kind of possibilities as, uh, as, a, as a potential future. I, you know, as humans, I don't think there's any case for us to be really scared of any kind of a bug dominating humanity. We've been here for long enough. And, you know, the stories about when the mass outbreaks of things have happened, they tend to be when we're eating our own shit you know, when we've been in really dense populated areas and we've had really poor quality nutrition and the water source has been tainted, like that's when bad things happen with human health. Um, the missions are another example of that. When you put people on missions, you crush their soul, their spirit, feed them sugar and wheat, and then you say, well, they're not immune to the European diseases. Well, maybe the Europeans wouldn't be immune to being, you know, bundled up like that and fed crap either. Um, and it turns out that, that we're also not. So... Um, you know, there's the, the only way that you would be scared of a bug would be if it was something that was man-made and the other side of it would be if there's an injection that follows that coming from people who clearly have an agenda of population control, you know, Gates has been open and honest about that's his agenda to, to decrease the human population, to, to decrease the number of humans on earth. That doesn't, to me, ring true for someone who loves humanity and loves people. Um, and the agenda of a lot of this stuff is, is decreasing population rates, decreasing birth rates. We know once people go to school and, you know, get emerged into basically Western culture, then birth rates decrease, um, fertility decreases, testosterone levels decrease, sperm counts decrease. You know, so there's a war on fertility. There's a war on health. The only thing, you know, that, that I'm concerned about is man's intervention around these things and imposed intervention. I have zero concern for, you know, getting measles, flu, whooping cough, etc. These things have been around for millions of years. They're going to be around for millions more. The, you know, the research and, and the statistics on vaccines and stuff is very, very dubious. Companies wouldn't produce them because there was too much legal liability they had to say these companies have no legal liability for the companies to even want to produce them. And so now the taxpayer pays out when they can prove that the, the child died because of the vaccine or the child, you know, the child was irrevocably, you know, child or adult was, you know, 
irreparably damaged from a vaccine, then they get paid out with taxpayer money. So there is a court for it. There have been billions of dollars paid out where the court said, yes, the vaccine killed the kid or gave the kid brain damage. That is happening. It does happen on and on. But it's taxpayer money rather than being those pharmaceutical companies. So there's a huge financial incentive and there's a deeper agenda of power to decrease birth rates and to decrease fertility, uh, to decrease intelligence. I would say there's, there's pretty clearly a, an agenda around. So what are we going to do? That's the question. You know, I think the cards are on the table. You don't have to do much research. I don't really think this is conspiracy theory. I think it's pretty straightforward in front of us. Like even just looking at how much the school system has progressed in the last 50 years, you know, in the time that we've produced all this technology, smartphones, you know, what's been the, what's been the improvement on that? You know, even, even, you know, cars and planes, like the improvement in technology, fossil fuels are still being pumped in the same way when the technology of a phone has gone from, you know, no internet, no computers to like these tiny little devices that are infinitely, you know, powerful. Um, how does that technological advance happen so fast in one area and yet in education, in human development, in human performance, you know, it's, it's, there's no support for it. It's not being broadly applied. Like we're into this biohacking type scene. Why would we not be advancing the most important technology that we have, which is humans and humanity. Like we, we are the, the most, you know, wonderful, amazing, you know, advanced things on earth. And you look at how much is being invested in improving things that facilitate money and power versus ourselves you know like why, why are we not investing and people thought that by the time we got to this time like Earl Nightingale if you listen to Earl Nightingale he said that by the time we got to this this point in history we'd be working like 10 hours a day at most at 10 hours a week because there's no need for us to be working all the time so we'd just be investing time in cultivating ourselves like it'll be this new golden era for humanity where you develop yourself physically you develop yourself mentally you have amazing community like that's the opportunity that we have. The reality is that we're not putting in like lots of time into anything that's actually materially productive. So we're just churning this digital economy, digital machine, and we're working for that. I personally love my work and my purpose. I, I would be doing that paid or unpaid because um, that's my mission. But how we've got to this point where, you know, we're all working more and more. We don't have time to bring our own kids up you know, both partners are working and we, we funnel them off into a place with relatively uneducated people in undeveloped systems, you know, looking after kids in childcare from, from a very early age. Of course, they're lovely people there and people doing their best, but surely that should be one of the highest paid, highest priority jobs in society right now. Like if we zoom out, I've done podcasts about, you know, farmers are the most valuable members of society personal trainers and people who understand nutrition, human physiology are the most important members of society. Anyone who can optimize human physiology is extremely valuable. Anyone who can optimize the quality of food is extremely valuable. Sickness care, that system has failed Like giving people drugs. That system doesn't work. The statistics are very poor for medical intervention actually being um, something that has positive long-term outcomes for sure emergency surgery that sort of stuff is, is highly valuable people who you know get hit by a car or those sorts of things it's amazing that we have that micro technology to to deal with that but in terms of 
you know, just having people on lots and lots of different pills, that system has failed. Childcare education is, you know, what else is more valuable? You know, these are the, these are the professions that should be the most valued ones where at the moment, the best minds go into developing app technology. They're going to law, which is, you know, litigation bullshit, where they're trying to say, well, this is your fault. I'm going to get rich off, you know, me tripping over the curb or whatever that, you know, that stuff is the, the brightest minds of our time and not getting pulled into, you know, I'm not one of the brightest minds of our time. And yet I think I have one of the most important roles to play our companies to potentially improve the human experience. When we look at so many people who are suffering from things that we know how to prevent and how to reverse, you know, I work with 400 coaches. If each of them could work with a thousand people over their lifetime, that's a decent little bit of reach. Hopefully in the near, not too distant future, our real movement will work with 10,000 coaches and, you know, we'll all be working in the same direction, linking up with farmers, linking up with educators, and we can, you know, make an impact on, on what's going on. Or we can partner up with other companies that have humanity's interests at heart. The biggest, biggest, most powerful companies at the moment, Google, Facebook, you know, what interest do they have at heart? All I see is them posting COVID-19 over everything. I don't see them posting anything about improving health. Mm. So they don't care about health, but they do care about whatever else the agenda is. And that's pretty clear. And it's pretty clear with the censorship that's increasing. You know, it's their platform. It's their right to take down and put up whatever they want. But what they take down tells you what their priorities are. If they take down when someone says, this is how you get healthy, or this is really what's going on behind the current agenda, when doctors come out and say, hey, they're forcing us to sign off autopsies in a way that they've never forced us to before, mm. and that gets taken down, well, then it's clear what the agenda is. You know, that's, that's how they show their agenda is by what they're, they're forcing absence on. So, um, and I'm going into a lot of stuff here, Ryan, and it's, it's a pretty deep conversation, but I, I feel as though, you know, we need to uh, we need to be asking these questions and thinking about these things at this time. Absolutely, and and I was going to take you back a step there to sort of a, an opinion or, or thought experience, no experiment that I've had, and, and that sort of ties in with the sort of fertility model and, and the fact that there is so many people now needing medical intervention in order to have a family, and you know, if you take a real crude ten thousand foot view at there, that's that's basically your human body saying that you are not in an optimal position to have a, have a child. So if we look at nature and, and, and we've got the very example of that just on my back doorstep with one of the ranges here, um, there's not good food, there's not good quality food and the deer in, the, in that area are suffering, they're skinny, their um, conception rate is very, very low and their survival rate of their fawns is very, very low. That's, that's nature as a being saying, you're not in the right place to be to be surviving. So then, one step yep. further, we 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 do these petri dish pregnancies, and then we create a, you know, we uh, grow a child in a subop, and that's a rude thing to say, but uh, and it's unpopular to say, but someone that's in a suboptimal position health-wise to grow a child that was medically, you know, instigated basically, and then we then wonder why that on the flip side of that this person has a bunch of already intact immune conditions they don't tolerate a, a vaccination or whatever then and from the same account you talked about the two parents that are working all the time they're, they're feeding their child swap they're not growing this child up in a, in a supportive and nourishing environment and again we then expect them to 
deal with six injections at a time when they're when they're barely you know like it's an it's an unpopular opinion to to look at vaccination and say that it's all bad or it's all good and that's the freaking problem with with society these days is it's there's no room for the nuance in between like i'm someone that believes in the concept of what vaccination is and but i'm also not someone to say oh no never causes harm like these people don't imagine one day they had healthy child the next day they didn't like that's that that's that's not imagination and the thing that i sort of take away is that that child was compromised going into it and then they were unable to to handle it And, and you can you know, you can delve into the fact that there's there's aluminium or whatever, and we're not able to to excrete that or detoxify that. And some of us are better detoxif- detoxifiers. You know, there's 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 things in science like methylation that we know about. That some people are poor, some people are good, and so the majority of people are going to handle it. But there is this area of population that's not. And like even my own daughter, she had eczema, and it was like, well, we're not going to vaccinate her while she has eczema. We're not going to load her up with a whole bunch of shit when, when she's had a had a tough upbringing. You know, she, she took a, a long time to put on weight and, and and be be healthy. And and it's like, well, we're not going to introduce something that's already going to compromise her. And, and and it's bizarre that even when you go into the medical practice, they don't have time for, for well, majority of people don't have time for that conversation. Like they're straight away, you're not on schedule. I don't give a shit. We're here anyway. Like. Who cares if it's six months later? Like, we're healthy. We protect. We're protecting her, and that's our interest. That's our stance. And and you know, the the herd is the tough part, and and survival of the fitness is the tough part. But then on the flip side, it's not acknowledged the other way around that there are weak people, and they can't handle it. And there is consequences out of there for those people that can't handle it, and to make to make them feel bad because you know they couldn't handle it and they had to deal with the consequences and and then sweep it under the rug and say it doesn't exist is also equally disingenuous and so like it needs to be a conversation it just can't be oh you're pro-vax or you're anti-vax it's like well fucking chill out like we're all you are you going to acknowledge that we're all different or you're going to say we're all the same and and it's the same way you see with outrage culture it's it's either it's (laughs) the most ironic thing is you know we're non-binary but we're binary it's like where do, you, where do you want to stand on this? And, and it's the same for the vegan argument. It's the same for like farming and agriculture. My, you know, my mate's farm was on the news last week because it got a drought. Then all of a sudden he has MPI shop, like Ministry of Prime Industry shop, to check out his farm. And someone's reported that there's cows dying, which is a hunk of shit. And the, and the agent from the government's going, I don't know why I'm here. It's like there's just people out there that just have no ability to have nuance. And it's the same thing that we've seen with this COVID-19 is that, you know, all of a sudden, Kubler-Ross came out. Not Kubler-Ross. Um, I can't remember what it's about. If you know a little bit of information, it's really dangerous, and it, it takes a long time to be an expert. And they're the ones that will, will take a while to actually say. But everyone's got an opinion all of a sudden because they read one article, and then it's a shit show. And it's the same with climate change. It's the same with vaccination. It's like do some do some time, listen, research, look at other opinions, and and unfortunately, if you do, just go to Google. We do just watch your news. We do just listen to your radio, which man, I hate the radio. Just keep brainwashing you. But then, then you're not going to be able to have a nuanced opinion. You're just going to get that small snippet of information. And yeah, it, it's, like I said, it's deep conversation. It's 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 why well, it's good to have a deep conversation. And you know, that's where 
you on your podcast you riff on things and so you know it, it's it's quite good to be to be right in what you're saying you know what you said from the outset is this is not about health and then sure enough you, you showed those stats again yesterday like you say one person died same in New Zealand no one died yesterday no one, no new cases yesterday no one's in hospital yesterday yeah, we're still waiting another couple of days because the government's under this plan that I don't know who's making it up but we're different. Australia did it differently. You got the same outcome. Like, there's new information now. We can change our mind. We don't have to be stuck in, in what we're doing. You know, just even even your your strength and conditioning journey. Like, hell, start off being strong, being fast, do some movement, come back to bring the two together. Even being Patrick, knees over toes. Like, don't 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 go beyond ninety. Don't don't squat low. Oh, guess what? Get break your ACL. <laughs> yeah, and and the medical industry doesn't have a great record. You know, there's there's quite a number of things where they've been wrong. They've been wrong about low carb diets and sugar. You know, they've been wrong about um, like thalidomide and all those sorts of things. They've been wrong. You know, people more people are dying from aspirin and you know those basic drugs than you know than what's ever happened with with this other stuff. And you know even just your common flu, like, but there's, there's such a massive precedent for human intervention in medicine, not being effective. And later they say, Oh, sorry, you know, and I, I'm, I'd be very, very confident that if we live in a, a healthy world in the future, they're going to look back on it as idiots for things that we're doing currently, you know, like the idea of more and more vaccines given earlier, given in combination together, like is very, very difficult, especially in a time where, yeah, fertility is decreasing, allergies are increasing, like to make the case that it makes sense to continue to push, you know, that regime harder. It's just, you know, it's a very difficult thing to make a case for if you actually zoom out and have a look at what's going on like what are what are all these things you know the the whole plethora of things that need like do these are these things actually the only cases of polio that are happening in the u.s directly caused from a vaccine like that is how polio gets caused now it's the only way that there are cases at the moment so you know it's it is like it is a hugely divisive thing it's something to that people should have the right you know everyone has the right to have a, you know, to research and have an opinion on to say that you have to be a medical doctor. There are a lot of medical doctors who've done no research on it and they, you know, they're in a worse position to have an opinion than the mother whose child has brain damage. That's gone read everything that exists about the topic. Um, the mother has more right, you know, to, to have their opinion expressed, I, I believe, than, than the medical professional who doesn't care about that topic. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's an issue as well. Who, who has the right to have an opinion? Um, but you know my my trust for Mother Nature and nature's circles, nature's rules, uh, runs very deep. And you know I think that nature does find a balance. And if if you obey nature's rules to a large enough extent, you get to enjoy great health. Whenever your health begins to deteriorate, uh, you should look at which of nature's rules you're breaking. Whether you know we know night shift is carcinogenic and decreases life expectancy. As soon as you break nature's rules, you get a kick in the ass. So it's not my rules, it's nature's rules. When someone says, look, I've got X, Y, Z going on, it's, it's because you're breaking nature's rules in some way. We're all programmed to be healthy and you know, no other, no creature in the wild needs vaccinations to be able to survive and to be able to reproduce. 
I believe that we're a creature in nature much more so than we're, you know, we're not some kind of robot or we're not some kind of, you know, we, we may have some spiritual differences, but on the biological level, you know, we, we follow nature's rules and the closer we follow nature's rules, the better life is as far as health goes to mandate people taking some kind of man-made um, interjection into that. You know, my boy is, hasn't been allowed to go to preschool because he hadn't had those things. Um, you know, he can't participate in society in a normal way. And maybe we don't want him to anyway, but if we did, you know, we're being told by the government that our child can't participate because we don't, we, he hasn't taken some sort of man-made intervention that doesn't have any double-blind studies done on it. That does have a record of you know, causing challenges and harm. To me, that's you know, it's a slippery slope and it's it's getting slipperier all the time. So you know, they've been doing that with kids. They've been doing that. That's the rule in Australia. They've been doing that with army, you know, personnel, people who work in hospitals. Now they're saying it has to be for football players as well. What's coming next? And and then what you know, what degree? of the well the government dictates what goes in everybody's body like what degree of that are we willing to accept like to what degree do you trust that that's that your best interests are at heart to me you only have to do a little bit of research to understand that your best interests are not being considered so why would you let those people mandate and decide what goes in your body when they're actually going after and and, and discrediting the people who do have really positive things to, to have, you know, to, to do with health, things like with the Banting diet and ketogenic diet, you know, Tim Noakes is a genius and he was recognized as a genius in the world of exercise science until he decided to say we can end obesity until he decided to say performance doesn't require, you know, all this carbohydrate until he decided to say, I've reversed my own two type two diabetes. As soon as he said that he became an enemy and he became, you know, he got attacked by all the medical associations. All he's trying to do is improve the human experience, you know. And so many people who have dedicated their lives to those things, you know, they become, um, they're, they're, you know, opposed, heavily opposed by the system. I'm not interested in going into conflict. I just want to create a different solution. That's always been my approach. I decided, you know, during that time in Latin America, I wasn't going to fight against any governments or fight against anything. I'm not going to go to any protests. All I'm going to do is live the way that I think I'm meant to be living. I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to share the best of what I know. And I would encourage everyone else to do the same. And I feel as though we're not being educated or encouraged to do that anywhere near enough, you know. So become your own you know, leader of your own life. Explore personal sovereignty. Figure out why you do what you do. Um, and then, you know, have the courage to to speak that truth, to have those ideas questioned. Um, you know, I, I, I've changed my mind on a lot of different things. I'm open to having a conversation about any, you know, anything with anyone with an opposing different view. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's what we, you know, we need to encourage. And as, as you say, like, I, I think you, you've hit an important point with, we need to be able to have a conversation and there also needs to be, the opportunity for individuals voices to matter and to, to be able to make a decision. And that's, you know, it's one of the biggest priorities of real movement. And why I'm encouraging everyone to podcast and, and everyone to get active on social media is because we need people who are thinking about how to live, 
to to share those ideas because the dominant ideas what's coming from you know government guidelines school system netflix you know it's just it, it's just very difficult to say that that has human interest that heart you know human health you know people having great mental health great physical health yeah. that is my priority my goal for myself for all the people around me uh, and i think if you know you should trust you know take that challenge on for yourself mm. how could you you know what could you do to optimize your mental and physical health absolutely and then like um there's been lots of people talking about the sun and vitamin d and, and, and melatonin over over this period of time and and, and, and brought up ship work there and, and that was one of the things that Luke Kenley was talking about that in nature it wasn't till autumn when when the sugar came about and we were naturally insulin resistant as the as the day um, period got shorter so that we could store fat to carry on through the winter but guess what our society set us to do and, and, and I'm the most ironic person for this because I I'm an optometrist and I encourage people to get outside and get natural light. You know, I do all my tests and, 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 and everything in a, in a dark room. Here I am sitting in a wardrobe to record this podcast in front of artificial light. But, you know, I've already been out for a run this morning. I, I get up in the morning, get that, get that sun. Lunchtime, I go outside. Um, you know, I wear, I wear glasses, but I go outside and take them off. Um, I, I barely ever wear my sunglasses because I know that that sun's so important. And, and then you're seeing guys... Um, work with, with juve lights and things in the morning and night and for red lights morning and night and, and you know th th there's a condition out there called seasonal associated depression guess what they treat them for give them a blue a blue bright blue light for in the middle of the day to, to bloody boost that level you know like it's all shit that's known and, and common and, and but then you, when you want to talk about getting outside and the fact that we're working in this environment too long you know I'm supposed to be over at 8.30 till, till 5.30. Guess what? In winter, that's dark. And, 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 and in summer, that's missing the best, best parts of the light of the day. And then we wonder why people all of a sudden are you know, metabolically compromised. It's because they haven't had that sun. They haven't had that day period. They haven't had that vitamin D you know, to fight viruses, to, to, to burn their fat, to, to make their insulin actually work and be received and, and, and that thing turn around. And then you bring up the ketogenic diet. Don't really spike your um, insulin in the first place. Don't spike your blood sugar in the, in the first place. As, as Lou was saying, the only time that we used to get doses of sugar was autumn when, when the apples and, and berries were ripe. And then other time, when did you get sugar? And, and that's where, you know, you say about uh, paleo, why hasn't it been on the front page of the paper? You know, why hasn't CrossFit been on the front page of the page? But the only time it's on the front page of the paper is this is a crock of shit. Or, or Pete Evans is losing his mind. It's like, come on, like this. This is as you said, you're an animal in nature. Who, the, who do you think? Who do you think? Yeah, you, you know, it's so so weird. We just we just have to acknowledge those media outlets as who they are and what they do. Like if they're openly and honestly there to serve corporate interest and they have no interest in human health, no interest in the human experience at all then happy days, but they don't advertise it in that way. And people don't understand it in that way. Once you understand it in that way and you understand that everything that you see on the news, everything you see in the newspaper um, comes through that lens, then it's like, okay, they can talk about whatever they want because I know that this is there to serve an agenda of population control of decreasing the, the, the global population of you know, increasing the profits of pharmaceuticals. If they just have that as a little disclaimer on their front page, you know, then, the world would be a much better place, but people take that as 
this is actually journalism. It's not journalism. You know, it's, it, it's, it's disgusting, you know, to think that it's masquerading as, you know, real information and, and true journalism when it's just not. And then, and the, so you have to choose where you're going to get your information from. And you, that's what it is. It's info wars at the moment. Like it's, it's the new, it's uh, you know, fake news, all that stuff. Like you have to choose, you know, what, where's the truth coming from and what is that? What are the interests, you know, uh, I say, you know, how a politician's lying because their lips are moving. You know, that's the, that's the, probably the, the best indicator. But, like, for me, like, don't believe me, but you can believe the bird and the ant and the, the lion. Like, the lion doesn't get cancer and diabetes and all that stuff until you put it in a zoo, until you don't let it have sunlight, until you feed it kibble, and then it's going to get sick like our pets do, like the, the creatures in the zoo do. Like, you don't have to listen to me. Just explore some basic fucking logic that is never taught to us in schools. And, and most people never considered, you know, that we just, you know, that's, that's the way it works. Um, you consider it a quack if you say that sunlight's going to improve health. It's like every living thing has an, a relation to sunlight and moonlight. And, you know, that's how everything has evolved. So to think that we don't, obviously with a tree, you're not putting your plant inside in darkness and expecting it to be healthy, right? But we do that with ourselves, like we couldn't be stupider to, to think of, you know, you put the plant in the cupboard and come back in two weeks and think it's going to be okay. You know, anyone would say you're a moron if you did that, if you did that with your dog, you know, if you fed, if you got yourself a prize racehorse or a pet monkey and you gave it Coca-Cola and you gave it McDonald's and you gave it chips, you'd probably get, you know, fined by the RSPCA or, you know, people would call you an idiot. People would, you know, you would be, you know, highly criticized for doing that and yet if you do that for your kids or you do that to yourself it's fine <laughs> but if you did that to your prize racehorse if you did that to your pet monkey you know you'd actually get yourself in trouble so it's okay to poison ourselves and to eat you know eat a bunch of crap to live in completely unnatural conditions but if we did it with a plant if we did it with a with an animal if we did it with you know a pet it's just uh, it's just a funny time and we've just you know it's such a deep uh, indoctrination and brainwashing to sort of get us to the point where we degenerate our, our own health and mental and physical to such an extent. But there is a pushback and the pushback is CrossFit and the pushback is biohacking and the pushback is, you know, ketogenic diet and carnival diet and all of these things that are completely underground and that only come above the ground to be criticized in the mainstream media because they've, they've got their, you know, they've got their interests to uphold. That's okay. They can do what they want to do. But what about if we create another system you know, what about if we decide to live by our own values? Um, you know, that's that's what's interesting to me. Like, there's there's very little interest or energy in, in fighting that, and, you know, petitioning against it and protesting against it. We just simply need to live according to our own values. You know, that's that's the challenge. Is you know, and and avoid conflict as much as as much as possible. In that, I think is is the best way. Um, you know, to go about that, just move, move away from it, continue to live in the way that you want to live. Um, that's, you know, that's what we've done. We didn't take the Australian government to court for their, you know, fascist rule about children, um, saying that we have to inject stuff in our children for them to be able to participate in the education system. Like, that's not freedom. Um, there's no medical case, you know, like, there's a, there's a strong case to be made that that isn't healthy information and that, um, there should be a negative consequence to whoever brought that in, which happens to be our prime minister that takes credit for that. No jab, no play. Um, he, he takes credit for bringing that into the New South Wales school system 
he actually came in the sheds one day at, at the Roosters game against the Sharks. And, um, yeah, it's it's funny to think that this guy's, you know, it's just it's it, it's not even about those people at all because they're just serving that system, and whether they realise it or not, you know. It's, it's obvious that all of our leaders are just stooges that they, they're not making any decisions because they're doing exactly the same thing as each other. Like there's five degree of difference between 95% of world government at the moment with their stance on, on COVID. You know, there's very slight differences. Basically the whole world is doing the same thing regardless of whether it's summer or winter, regardless of if, if there's cases, uh, regardless of, of anything. Um, so you know, it's, it's, there's no point hating those people or, you know, whatever against those people. They're, they're just playing the role that they've been educated to play. And they got a really bad education that happened to be, you know, getting a master's or a PhD or, you know, the worst kind of education. They went as far as they could in, in our education system to get jobs. You know, the worst thing you can do is get a job as far as um, Robert Kiyosaki says. And, and I, I'm of the opinion of that as well. You know, like, we didn't have jobs a hundred years ago. We worked for ourselves. What if we did more of that, you know? And it's, it's not the simplest thing, but I love helping people to, to, to generate their own income. Um, all the censorship and all that stuff, yeah, is a concern to me because even if people really want to learn the things that I teach and, and even if I have the, the best stuff, there's now a possibility for Google and Facebook to say, hey, nah, like we don't really like that information that much. That information shouldn't be shared. And that's already happening for a lot of guys like Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson and those guys. Like the big big voices in the, in the world of health have had their voices quietened, um, just quite, you know, quietly diminished on, on all those platforms because it doesn't agree with the agenda. And that's, that's okay as long as those platforms are clear and open about, look, this is our agenda. We want to control the world's population. We want to decrease mental and physical health. If they put that up as a disclaimer, I'm still using the platform. I'm guilty of that. I, you know, I at the moment there is enough freedom in it that I can express, you know, my truth, and there's benefit to that. But we have to be moving back towards, you know, we have to be moving towards personal sovereignty and, and back towards personal sovereignty. hundred years ago, what's going on now was was impossible with modern communication, etc. They've designed this whole system elaborately over the last 50, 100 years. We've been rolled into this system where we're all bundled together. We don't have control of our own food. We don't have control of the education of our children. Um, and this is where we're at. This is where we're at. We're at a turning point. We're at a tipping point. And I'm excited for the future because I think people are waking up. People are deciding, I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I'm going to have to do something different to, you know, all those 15,000 CrossFit gyms and, and millions of people who have done that, just as one example, are people have decided, yeah, like, I want to be happy, healthy, and strong. This is the way to do it. So that's the decision that we have to make. Make that decision yourself. Get educated, get happy, healthy, and strong, and encourage other people around you, you know, to do that. And, you know, I think there's a, a really amazing, bright future for humanity uh, on the other side of, of that decision. Bowing to fear and, and conforming, I, I don't think is, uh, you know, and playing the mob mentality and attacking people who, don't want to uh, go along with the party line who, who don't think that man-made interventions are necessary for, for every human. Um, there's concern. If that idea was to get big enough, that's a concern. But I don't think, I don't think it's possible. I don't think that humanity will stand for um, what's happened. I think that, yeah, more people will wake up than ever. 
on the back end of, of this intervention, doing their research on it and looking at all the things that have been taken down off YouTube. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a super exciting time, man. I think we, we just got to, you know, put our best foot forward and share our truth and um, there's, there's great things going to happen on the other side. Mate, there's 101 rabbit holes that I could go down with you there and everything is out. I'm just churning over ideas in my head. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll let you get back to, to your little tribe there and, and also the wider tribe of, of real movement, mate. Um, people people finding you these days, Keegan Real is what you can buy and, and real, what is it? Uh, what is it? Uh, real underscore MV. T is that what, what we are? I'll find it anyway. Yeah, the the Instagram real underscore MVMT. Um, yeah. It's a bit confusing because we use the RMVT as well. But if you go to Keegan Real, it's in the bio. It's in my um, my profile there as well. So Keegan Real is K W E G A N R E A L. If uh, anyone wants to check out what we're up to on the social medias, if you did listen to this and you got something out of it, I'd love to hear from you. I know Ryan also appreciates feedback and. Um, even if you don't agree with me, that's fine. You know, I'd love to hear why you're opposing, you know, have different views or where I am going wrong and, and, and what the nuances in the argument are that I'm missing. Um, it's something that I think a lot about. And if you've got cool stuff to educate me further, you know, I invite you to that uh, that opportunity. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on, Mr. Stag. And yeah, I love the, love the work that you're doing. You've interviewed so many great people and, you know, just having the courage to to do that you know to, to put your voice out there and to have these great conversations i know it's amazing experience for yourself um, yeah. but it's a great service for, for for people out there as well every life that you life that you influence and change for better is a you know it's a worthy worthy effort to to put these together i know they take a lot of time and energy so yeah thanks for doing that right, and um if people do listen to this before 16th and 17th where do they go to get on board with the the um, coaches forum this weekend yeah there's a link in the bio for that so that's probably the easiest way um rather than dropping links and whatever so if you if you go to at keegan real and then if you uh, have any questions or anything like that then you can you can obviously let me know from there but if you want to we can set up a code for yourself there for that ryan and you can include it in the podcast somewhere if you want um, yes. but otherwise yeah that, that'd be the path okay mate um What's that bird, Galar or something? <laughs> what, what, would, what would you leave us with, mate? Um, I don't know. Where's your excitement come from, I reckon? That's a good question. I think it's been it's been there all along. Yeah. There's a bird just outside the window here. It's been there all along, mate. Like I, I, from from a young kid, I loved. I loved coaching. I think uh, it was in the in the veins. My dad's a career coach. My uncle's a career coach. My brother's a career coach. So I think we've all just had a passion for trying to bring the best out in, in other people. And, and when you do that, you have to try to bring the best out in yourself. And I think that's just a, a good existence. So, you know, I'd encourage those who feel the urge, you know, if you feel like you're a leader and you feel like, you know, you've got something powerful to say, then say it, you know, and invite people and to, to learn from you, like that's one of the biggest things we have going on with Real Movement is we're encouraging people to put their voice forward, like build a course and put together a tutorial. Just, you know, take action in sharing what you love and you can share it within our community and we'll share it out to as many people as we can or, you know, build it within your own brand and we'll help you to build your own brand. Um, yeah, we've all got 
you know, we've all got important things to share. We've all got important truths and, and, and education information within us. So, you know, your voice matters and the further you can explore your own truth and, and what you love doing most, you know, I think the, the better the world will be. So encourage people just go, go all in on your dream. Like don't, this is not a time to hold back. This is a time where you want to express yourself and, um, you know, have courage, you know, have faith that the, the positive energy and the, the energy that's inside you to drive something out there, you know, speak your truth and speak from the heart and get in touch with your heart each day of, you know, what, what could you do today to, to improve yourself and to improve, you know, the situation for humanity. Like that's, I think the, the best thing we can do, you know, what does God want done? I think is the Buckminster Fuller thing that Robert Kiyosaki is talking about. You know, like if you ask yourself that question every day, if you don't like the word God, then that's okay. But you know, what does, what does the universe want done? What does humanity want done? Um, everyone's got some magic inside them. You know, we all got different things that we want to teach and that we want to share. So that's, that's my biggest encouragement. My biggest hope for doing this podcast today is that, you know, people decide to explore more of that for themselves and have courage to, to share that. Brilliant, mate. Thanks so much. Um, I know you're, you're a very productive man and it's awesome to sit down and have another conversation with you. And, and yeah, thank you. Love the excitement, love the fizz there of Keegan and also love the way he spoke from the heart, spoke with what's true to him currently and like you said, he's open to changing his mind, maybe. He's open to hearing about the nuance of his opinion and, and sliding on that, like I, like I said in, in the conversation. You know, there's been things when it comes to his strength and conditioning journey, which he's moved on. Um, and probably even if you look back at our first conversation, there'll be a number of things that might have become different that's both the blessing and the curse of the podcast you know a blessing is there's time and space to really explore the conversations and um that's where it's kind of tough when I, I go through and select little clips to put up on on instagram that's sort of to entice people to come in and listen further and i hope that people don't form an opinion about the guests just based on the clips um but then at the same time when you do record something you know uh it's at a point in time and it's just a, a landmark i suppose um the best <laughs> i guess the best reflection is shit we've done 140 odd episodes 39 i think it was without the use of a, of a speaker and then you know you get the speaker and now i'm playing around we're trying to get the the acoustics right um as i said and if you've watched <laughs> watching any of the youtube you'll see me sitting in a cupboard um, for this one, um, I think it's working quite well, and, and I'll endeavour to make it even more sharp. But yeah, it's it's all learning, and that's really what the podcast is about: is just listening, considering, you know, moving around with with your thoughts and your in and, and your understanding of things, um, scratching that itch, not you know thinking that you know everything, because the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know anything. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's really, really wicked to have conversations with someone like Keegan and, and to interact with someone like Keegan. As I've said, I've been doing it for years, sort of around 2013 was when I sort of came across him um, through his work with the Sydney Roosters and, and Sonny Bill Williams was there at the time. Um, and yeah, he's an awesome dude. And, and like I said, don't necessarily agree with everything, but that that's cool. That's awesome. You know, as a 
it's it's a great thing to be challenged on your opinion and, and yeah um that doesn't mean i'm wrong and he's right or he's wrong and i'm right but we just come at it with different inf- information different experience different upbringing different location like hell um uh, everything is what uh it is for the person and, and that doesn't make it bad or, or wrong or whatever so yeah really really enjoyed this conversation and like i said um our first conversation went really really well and was the most listened to episode for a long time and is still one of uh the most listened to up there in the in in my repertoire of of episodes all 142 of them so yeah thanks very much keegan for coming on and and like i said speaking from the heart and and speaking your truth uh something that we've talked about quite a lot lately is is the truth of, of the person and and i love it of course, the podcast is brought to you by Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-0.P-A-U-V-I-T-N-O-W.com. Keegan's the person that introduced me to exogenous ketones. They're a powerful, powerful tool for adjusting that lifestyle, uh, a powerful tool for protecting the brain from traumatic brain injury, a powerful tool for assisting a ketogenic lifestyle. There's also the Keto Reboot there, which is a powerful fasting tool. You can do the 60-hour reboot with the aid of two sachets of exogenous ketones a day, a couple of keto broths, um, some keto tea, and the Signal OS DNA repair to help you with sleep. And then at the end of that 60 hours, there's the keto protein to help you smoothly exit the fasting protocol. Oh, I just can't speak highly enough of fasting. Um, like I was talking about in the podcast, that Lou Cantley podcast with Dr. Peter Atia was life-changing. It's 10-year-old data. Um, there's a neuroscientist from Hamilton, Matt. He has a sensational blog, um, and he's just released uh, some a case study where fasting and ketogenic diets were instigated in a cancer brain cancer patient. Matt's a neurologist, and really fascinating um, read in his paper. Maybe I'll attach that in the show notes. I've got it in front of me. It's called uh, Managing Metastic thymoma with metabolic and medical therapy a case report it's uh matthew cl phillips um so check that out if you if you know what to do and yeah i'll chuck that link straight into the show notes so you can access that again it's another way of looking at ketosis as a powerful tool and also especially fasting um matthew's very hot on eliminating glucose and insulin to help treat cancer and that was a big thing in the Lou Cantley um, podcast with Dr. Peter Atia, especially around the fact that the PI3 kinase inhibitor, and I'm getting deep in the weeds now and, and not even anywhere near the weeds that I get into in the podcast, um, when that was inhibited, it could induce diabetes, And um, but they didn't let anybody go on insulin treatment because the insulin as well would cause cancer growth. So fascinating stuff. Um, that's not to say that ketosis is the cure-all for cancer. Um, it's not the cure-all for anything, but it's a powerful tool. And, uh, yeah, definitely a really awesome consideration when looking at metabolic health um, and optimising human performance, protecting the brain from traumatic brain injury, epilepsy, is where the most rep- uh, the most research is done on ketogenic diets. Uh, it's where the intense therapeutic care, ketogenic diet is formulated the thing that i'm hugely passionate about verta health 
um, using ketogenic diets for reversal of diabetes. Um, and then type 1 grit, low carbohydrate, moderate protein diets to help treat type 1 diabetes. I've talked about that with Jay Hawley, who's gone a step further and, and using carnival diet to um, to treat his type 1 diabetes. But that guy uses bugger all insulin. He's an absolute machine. Check him out and, and check out our episode if you haven't listened to that. Thanks for listening. A lot covered in this one. I really would appreciate your feedback, and I'm sure Keegan would too. He'd love to know that you you heard the episode and, and you really do dive into his DMs. He's absolute legend. He'll get back to you. He'll answer your questions and highly recommend joining Real Movement, even if it's just for the month, um, to get along to this coaching intensive. You'll find yourself sticking around because what a powerful, powerful tool Real Movement Project is. Thanks very much, and we'll press stop there. And we'll join you next time on the Stag Raw. Cheers.